When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, how you doing? Brian Kane, your peak performance coach here with the Brian Kane Peak Performance Podcast. And in this week's episode, I sit down with Coach Jim Schlossnagel of the TCU Horn Frogs. And Coach Schlossnagel has led the Horn Frogs to five college world series appearances he's one of the most successful coaches in college baseball and this podcast was recorded in 2015 right before the ncaa baseball tournament now no matter what sport you coach or what sport you play coach schlossnagel or coach schloss as i refer to him as has amazing advice with everything from the importance of the mental game to how to become a head coach and to what it takes to reach your potential at every phase of your athletic career and life. Now, we're going to break down what parts of the mental game are critical to the success of TCU baseball. He's going to address the importance of weekly meetings and how to use them with your program. And he's also going to give his advice to young coaches who want to be college baseball coaches. So please join me and my friend Jim Schlossnagel, head baseball coach, Texas Christian University. Hey everybody, Brian Kane with the Brian Kane Peak Performance Podcast and today our guest is 2015 Big 12 Conference Baseball Coach of the Year. Jim Schlossnagel and Coach Schloss is uh, one of the best in all of NCAA athletics when it comes to coaching and especially on coaching the mental game and Coach is the today as we record this is the day that you guys were announced as a national seed in the NCAA baseball tournament and I know you were super busy so I appreciate you making time to sit down and talk with, a little, with us here about the mental game. Could you give our listeners kind of your background in your career maybe starting with when you were a player in college and how you got to where you are today as the head coach at TCU? Sure. You know, I was, uh, first of all, Brian, appreciate uh, having me on, and uh, this is an honor. You've been such a huge part of our program since the middle of the season of 2006. Um, you know, we really, you know, truly consider you a staff member and and uh, always value the time, you know, when you're around, and whether it be uh, via phone or email or certainly in person. Uh, you know, my, my coaching career uh, started out as, a, you know, the end of a disappointment of, of no longer being good enough to play, you know, I was a so- I was in my sophomore year of college uh, at Elon College, playing for a guy named Rick Jones, who recently retired after a great uh, career at Tulane, and and uh, he called me in one day and said, "Hey, you know, uh, you know, we we both know you're not playing beyond college. You're not going to pl- pitch a whole lot here. We love having you around. Uh, I mean, you'll definitely have a role, but." Um, there's a lot. There's a lot that I see in you that would make me think you'd be a good coach, and I think you may be best served um, to start that right now. And uh, you know, Elon didn't have any paid assistant coaches. Um, I think we had a graduate assistant, maybe, but uh, I was a journalism major at the time, and and I thought, you know, he said I want you to take ten days off and come back and talk to me. And I thought about it for ten days and talked to my parents, and I, and I never really thought of coaching, but. Um, you know, I decided to do it, and uh, thank goodness I made that decision. That was in the fall of, I guess, 1989. 
and didn't know it, but a couple months later he left uh, at the end of fall practice to be a uh, top assistant coach at Georgia Tech. And then they hired a new coach, and here, here I was, a student assistant coach for a guy named Mike Harden, and he was – he was green under the, you know, kind of green under the years too, or wet under the years, I guess you'd call it. And uh, he gave me a lot of responsibility. Shoot, I was getting in the car and going out and recruiting, and I didn't know what I was doing. I just, uh, you know, kind of like you talk about, you know, I just, the greatest form of flattery is imitation. So I would just be around, you know, scouts or other college coaches that impressed me on the road. And a lot of those guys now are great head coaches or retired great head coaches or scouting directors or general managers. And, I just did what they did, you know, and I didn't know any better. No one really taught me anything. And then, uh, you know, I was the pitching coach. I actually ended up my senior year of college. I coached third base. Um, I did a lot of things, and so, you know, Coach Harden was great for me that way. And then at the end of my senior year, uh, the athletic director at Elon called me in and said, hey, you know, uh, we'd like to have you, we'll pay for you to go to graduate school. Um, we'll give you a meal ticket in the cafeteria, and we'll give you this, there's a little, basically a big closet in the gymnasium, and we'll let you turn that into an apartment. There's a shower there, and you can live there. You can have free, you know, free place to live and a free uh, master's degree, and uh, you can coach baseball. And shoot, I thought that was great, you know. So I said, I'll, I'm going to go work these camps. And every summer for that, those last three years, I would go and work camp for five or six, seven weeks at a time. Georgia Tech, uh, Clemson, uh, of course, at Elon. And that's how I met people and, and learned how to you know, learn from people how to teach and coach. And, and so I was planning on going back to Elon. And in my very last week of camp, my very last day of camp, in August of the summer of, two, of 1992, Bill Wilhelm, uh, who was just finished his, I think, 36th year as the head coach at Clemson, called me in and said, hey, we have these new rules coming in now. There's, they're limiting our coaching staffs. There's only going to be one full-time assistant and then what they were calling a restricted earnings coach and then this new thing called a volunteer coach. And he said, I'd like for you to come help me coach the pitchers and be our volunteer coach. And so I didn't need any more, you know, to be at Clemson. Shoot, I would pay them to, to work at a place like that at the age of, at that time, 22 years old, 22, 23. So um, told my parents, got a great, you know, told the athletic director at Elon, he was great, no doubt you have to go do that. And then went to Clemson and spent that year, fall of 92, spring of 93, uh, in Cle at Clemson as an assistant coach for Bill Wilhelm, which ended up being his last season. Our other two coaches were Jack Leggett, who's now, who we all know is a ABCA Hall of Famer and the coach at Clemson now for the last 20-some years. And then Randy Maisie, uh, who has also been a successful you know, college head coach and assistant coach. So that was a great opportunity for me. If you remember, my college coach, Rick Jones, left Elon to go to Georgia Tech. So we, that year, we were in the same conference together. And then at the end of the 93 season, we actually won the ACC tournament. Uh, we won 40, I think we were 46 and 20 that year, played in a regional at the University of Tennessee. And then in the middle of that summer, um, Coach Wilhelm retired. Jack Leggett became the head coach. And I could have stayed on at Clemson as the volunteer, but Coach uh, Jones was named the head coach at Tulane and so I hopped in the car had never been in New Orleans drove to New Orleans and spent the next eight years at Tulane as the pitching coach and after the first couple years became the recruiting coordinator and and uh, you know we went to six regionals in eight years there culminating in the College World Series in 2001 which is the first ever trip for Tulane uh, to Omaha and then a week or so after getting back from the College World Series 
Um, I interviewed to be the head coach at University of Nevada, Las Vegas, UNLV. I uh, had never spent any significant time in Vegas either, but thought it was a good baseball opportunity and, and uh, went out there. Um, you know, had kind of they had five straight losing seasons uh, before I got there, and we went 30 and 30 the first year, which wasn't a winning season, but it wasn't a losing season either. Learned a lot, um, and then the next year, uh, I think we were 47 and 14. And we finished ranked 14th in the country, and won the first ever regular season championship, I think, at at uh, UNLV baseball, and then uh, went to the. Um, uh, regionals and lost in a regional championship game to uh, Arizona State and Dustin Pedroia and Jeff Larish and Andre Ethier and Travis Buck and all the great players on that team. And then a couple weeks after that, uh, I had kind of always had my eye when I was at Tulane. My wife's from Dallas. I had always kind of had my eye on TCU because I really enjoyed the private school setting and I liked Texas and my wife was from Texas. And so that job opened up, and I really didn't want to leave UNLV, uh, especially after only being there for two years. But it was just a really unique opportunity in the summer of 2003 um, to really take what I would call my dream job, and uh, and that was to be at a private school that was either committed or trying to be more committed to baseball. And uh, so I've been here now since you know for this would be my twelfth finishing up uh, our twelfth baseball season at TCU. You know, and all the success that you've had at, at, at TCU obviously has, has been has been well documented, and you know the players in the professional baseball, the two trips to the College World Series, the the multiple Coach of the Year awards. What, what would you say if I were to ask you the million dollar question? What do you know now? You know, having been a head coach at UNLV for two years and now at, at TCU going on, you know, 13, 14 years. What is it that you know now? Maybe you wish you knew when you were just getting started as a younger coach. You know, uh, number one, the mental game. Uh, there's no doubt about that. I wish I would have had a further grasp. I mean, I always, you know, as a, especially as a pitching coach, you know, I was all into uh, Ken Revise's first book. And I remember, you know, I'd make copies of it and we'd have give it to my pitchers and we'd have tests on it and that kind of thing. And, and something changed in me when I became a head coach in a negative way in that when the, when the wins and losses go next to your name, it's real easy to what I call or you call personalize the performance of the players. And so when they would do poorly, I would take it personal like they're doing something literally against me or, or against the program or why are you doing that, you know. I, well, you know better. And, and whereas um, I've qu <laughs> learned, I wouldn't say quickly, but I've learned that that's obviously not personal. They're not trying to fail as long as they're controlling their attitude and their effort, the things they can control. Um, and the best thing you can do is create a more positive environment. And that doesn't mean you don't hold people accountable. And I, and I won't lie and say that I don't still struggle with that because I'm ridiculously competitive. And we all know ultimately what, especially at the higher levels of Division One baseball, what you're judged on. And that's winning and losing. When in reality, if you focus on the relationships and you focus on encouragement and you focus on uh, support of these players and, and truly, truly know how hard it is to play and how big a deal failure is in part of the game, um, the more you focus on those things, the more wins you're going to, wins, you know, more wins you're going to have and the fewer losses you're going to have. Uh, now, you still have to coach, you still have to recruit like crazy, you still have to work hard, um, you know, 
I know when you talk to older coaches, sometimes they'll say, I wish I would have enjoyed the journey more and that kind of thing. And I think that's true, but I think that's real easy to say at the, tail, at the twilight of your career. And just it, I don't know that it's really humanly possible to do, honestly, for people when you're in your 30s and 40s, when you're right in the heat of it. And so I'm trying to do a better job of that. Uh, but at the same time, I think, you know, you get what you, you get out what you put in. And so I've never looked, I mean, I enjoy being a head coach, but I've, I'm a hands-on guy. I, I enjoy the recruiting side. Um, I certainly trust my coaches and what their responsibilities are. But, you know, I just feel like if I put my nose to the grindstone and keep my blinders on that, you know, that that's going to, things will eventually work out. But I wish back in those days, I'm literally embarrassed by some of the things I said or did early on in my days as a head coach. I wasn't like that as an assistant. I was closer to the players. I had great relationships with them. But for some reason, in those first three to four or five years, um, I, I took on this personalizing of performance mentality that uh, I wish I could go back and do over. You know, you've talked a lot about the mental game and how you wish you knew that earlier when you were in your career and talked about you know the, the personalizing of performance that you did as a coach and that, that players do and, and that you really want to focus on the attitude and the effort and creating that positive environment and relationships and really focusing on the process. Are there other parts of the mental game that you think are critical to the success that you've seen with TCU baseball? I think that, yes, there are several that are very, very important, but I think the biggest thing that I could – when a, when a high school coach or another college coach, they hear they read about how invested we are in the mental game. Um, the thing I tell them is that it just has to be a commitment across the board. It has to be a commitment from your assistant coaches, from even your strength. You know, if you have a strength coach or anybody that comes in contact with your players, everybody has to preach the same language because the mental game is not something that just shows up on a game day. Matter of fact, that's there. Are, for the most part, that's the least important time. It's it's practice. It's fall practice. It's individual skill hours. When you're when you're using that language, when you're it has to become part of the culture of who you are, because if not, when you start to talk about it, um, the players aren't gonna aren't gonna respond to it. They're, they're gonna maybe even think you're panicking and trying to come up with a gimmick. Where if I can say, hey, trust your routine in a fall inter-squad game when we're playing in the finals of a super, a super regional or in the College World Series, we can, we can speak the exact same language or the signs in the dugout are saying the exact same thing. And so that's, you know, that's not, I don't know if that's specific enough to what you're looking for, but uh, to me it, it, it's, it's the entirety of it all and truly committing to that in practice and having your coaches truly commit to it. You know, I think two of the ways that you guys really work on the mental game and it is in the fall you, know, you have those weekly meetings where there's there's a commitment to mental conditioning on a weekly basis could you talk a little bit kind of about how you use those those weekly meetings and the focus of those so you know about you know once a week in the fall uh, we'll have what we call a Tom team organizational meeting and and you know during that time we'll go over you know academic things or things that are coming up in the week and then we'll also you know, utilize that, you know, 20 minutes or so out of that 30 or 40 minutes um, to address the mental game. So it may be listening to, you know, one of your podcasts. It may be a worksheet. It may be, uh, especially early in the season with the new players, reinforcing the core values of our program and making sure that, you know, my goal is 15 years from now, you can go to a TCU baseball player that played it, played here during the time I was here and say, hey, what is TCU all about? What's it stand for? And they can say, hey, it's real simple. 
selfless excellence and energy. That's what we're all about. And so, um, you know, we, we use that time to just reinforce that in a thousand different ways. Um, or, you know, show videos or, you know, just really anything to, to uh, further educate the new players on the, on the mental game and routines and perspective. Um, and then re-educate the guys maybe who in summer ball or different things have gotten away from it a little bit. You know, I think one of the ways that the coaches or people listening to this podcast can kind of get a glimpse into the into the excellence that is TCU baseball and some of the mental game philosophy that goes on here is to take a look at some of the videos that you've had made, whether it's Quiet Confidence, The Grind, The Journey, or, or On Our Honor. Could you talk a little bit about those videos that the people listening to this, my guests have seen at least one of them, if not all of them, and kind of the reason behind them and, and what your goal is with making those? Yeah, so the, the, the first one, which was Quiet Confidence, it started out, I had always kind of wanted to, uh, you know, trying to find an edge in recruiting. So, you know, what, what can we do where someone can look up and say, hey, what's TCU baseball all about? Or what can we, within the confines of the NCAA rules, what can we put on a DVD and walk into somebody's home and show it to them on a computer? And, and so uh, I met with a... a uh, a, got a TCU graduate who ha- was just starting his own video company and he had done some work with the Cowboys and Coca-Cola and a lot of corporate type stuff and we just sat down in a room one day and you know those those people uh, their their uh, their artistic ability and their their vision is so far beyond what a lughead baseball coach has and like myself you know and so so when we just sat in a room one day myself and our coaching staff and and then all of their creative people and then of course the owner of the company and we just started talking he said hey tell me about your program tell me what you stand for tell me what this team is like tell me what your best players are like tell me what message you're trying to send and they're just and they just for probably an hour hour and a half all they did was take notes and then they came back to me with this concept of quiet confidence and they wrote up an amazing script and of course they allowed me to edit it and and go through it, and of course I was plugging in some, you know, you, you were involved in that, and, and tried to plug in some uh, mental game things, and and then it just, it came out amazing, you know, and it, and it wasn't, there in that particular first one, there was a highlight reel that was a part of it, there were two, actually two separate videos that we used to play back to back, but the cinematic piece, the quiet confidence part, was the thing that got the most uh, uh, attention, and so after we did that one, we had so much response, and you can still go on YouTube and, and look at the number of views. It's close to a million views, I think, on that particular video. Um, that the next year, you had, had to kind of live up to it. And the same, and, and, and they, the video company, Red Productions at the time, they got so much exposure for it. I think it won some awards that they became even more invested and wanted to be a part of it. And so every year, honestly, has been more and more of a challenge to try and be creative, try and show something new um, without being overly repetitive. And so people are always waiting. You know, I get emails or uh, Twitter messages all the time in you know, December, January, hey, when's the next video coming out? And so and you can, they've also been, again, the greatest form of flattery is imitation, so they've also yeah. been imitated. You know, high school programs have used the, used the script or they've used the, the, the music and different things, which is great. So... Um, they, they're great. They're, they're things we can put on a link in an email or text and send to a recruit and when they're trying to figure out what this place is all about. Um, and, it, you know, it really, really just defines the, the core values of our program and who we are. 
you, know, you mentioned the core values of the program and selfless energy and excellence. And this year, kind of the motto, you know, the core values of the program are selfless energy and excellence, where the motto this year is kind of stay the path. And, you know, you've created a system and a process and a path here at TCU that has produced, you know, not only uh, Division One head baseball coaches and two of your former assistants, Todd Whitting, the head coach at the University of Houston, Randy Mazie, the head coach at the University of West Virginia, but also, you know, Major League Baseball players, Matt Carpenter, all-star, uh, two years in a row, World Series ring, Brandon Finnegan, the only guy ever in the history of this game, which is amazing to say, to pitch in the College World Series and the Major League World Series in the same year. Could you talk a little bit about, from a player standpoint, you know, maybe the guys that have had the most success here and beyond, not just from a physical standpoint, but what is it that they did that you would say would be those bricks in the path for other guys to follow as we're in one of the most crazy rain and thunderstorms I've been a part of? <laughs> uh, well, I think whether it happened early in, early in their career um, or whether it happened over the course of their time here, they eventually truly bought in to controlling the things they can control. That's the most, to me, that's the most important thing, or the core values of this program, which one of the core values is excellence. And to me, excellence is defined, is, is making every day trying to be your, the very best in all facets of your life. So whether that be academics, whether that be nutrition, whether that be strength conditioning, whether that be rest, whether that be baseball, whether it be your spiritual life, whether it be your social life, any of those things is truly making that commitment that everybody can do and so many people say they will do or want to do but very very few do and so and and they do that they reach their at least amateur potential in college baseball and then they stick with it and reach their potential as a professional player so you know when you look at Matt Carpenter if you were to be around him in the big leagues and go to dinner with him he's not throwing down a cheeseburger and pizza uh, look at Jake Arietta now and how ridiculously committed he is to his body and or Andrew Kashner who was the furthest thing from a student of the mental game when he came out of junior college to TCU and then got to spend time here and spend time with you and and now he's a guy who when he struggles he calls you and so those are and, and if you look at Brandon Finnegan obviously he's talented but if you watch and they showed this many 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 times and I know you and I are both incredibly proud of this is they would in the World Series last year they were showing his in-between pitch routine in the College World Series and his in-between pitch routine in the Major League World Series and they put them on the same screen side by side and they were literally identical and so it's those kind of things that you know that, that allowed him to have the success he had in the World Series or the playoffs and that's why he's been able to maximize his potential have there been other guys do the same thing of course um, have they re- all reached the big leagues? Of course not. You know, whether it be injury or lack of opportunity or just being in the wrong place at the wrong time because, you know, you're the AAA shortstop behind Derek Jeter. I mean, something, sometimes you can't control everything, but you can at least give yourself the best chance. And so that's why, you know, this year our motto or, you know, thing was the path. And that's, you know, don't take it from me. Just look, the proof is in the pudding. And, if you if you just do, I hate to say do what you're told, but if you just follow, um, you know, the path of the guys who have come before and truly bought into whether it be the coaching, the nutritionist, the strength coach, the athletic trainer, the academic advisor, um, it's plain and simple. I mean, those guys have achieved their maximum potential, whether that be a great college player, a good college player, or a major league player. 
The last question for you, Coach. In terms of you know the path for the players, I think is, is very clearly defined, and people can catch that through the videos or just when you walk in here and go in the cages around the facility. You see, you see, you know the bricks of the path that, that, that people can follow. From a coaching standpoint, though, you've also produced guys that are now uh, head coaches, just amazing winning, and and Matt Siegel, who's an assistant in Arizona, won a national championship there underneath Andy Lopez. What would you give for advice to young coaches listening to this podcast that want to become college baseball coaches? Well, you know, I think that um, it's like anything else in life. I mean, every day is a learning opportunity. I mean, Randy Mazie and Todd Whitting were really good coaches before they came here, and they spent time here, and they were a part of developing the system that we had. Um, and I'm sure that there are things that or I know there are things they took from here to the next place they wanted to go, and there are, of course, things where they looked at it and said, you know what, that's great that he does it, likes to do it that way, but I'm going to do it this way. And so I think if you have the forethought and you're constantly thinking and just kind of molding yourself and trying new things or paying attention and, you know, your job as an assistant coach is, is to just do as, work as hard as you possibly can. The, when, when I got in this profession, when Rick Jones had that conversation with me that day, he said three, three most important qualities of an assistant coach. Number, let's say number three, it's important but it's the least important, knowledge of the game, Right? Number two is the second most important, but it's the not the most important thing, is work ethic. And number one, the most important thing, is loyalty. So if, if you, as an assistant coach, if you, if you really, really know how to coach a pitcher, but you're lazy and you're not loyal to the head coach, you're not going to be around very long. But if you are loyal, and loyalty means... Every day is not going to be perfect for you. That there are going to be things that happen in the program that you don't agree with. And the coaches that I respect the least are the assistant coaches, especially that will, you know, they're on the road recruiting or they're at the convention and they're saying, man, my boss, he's crazy. He, he does this, this, and this. Well, if you'll badmouth the boss you have now, you're going to badmouth the boss you have in your next job. And so, you know, that's first and foremost. So you got to be loyal and just be, you know, Whatever the coach says, I mean, obviously you're not going to do anything illegal or anything like that, but you, you have to be loyal. And number two, you have to work your rear end off. You have to be available. Uh, you have to be, if the coach says, hey, I need you to do this, you can't pout. You can't say, how do I, you just get it done. And those are the best coaches you've ever had. So as a head, and I think most head coaches will back me up, if you have a guy who isn't all that knowledgeable, but he's loyal and he works like crazy, shoot, you can you can work with that guy. You can send him to the ABCA convention, you can buy, you know, send him to meet with a great professional pitching coach if you want him to be a pitching guy, and you can work your way through the knowledge of the game stuff. So I think that's you know, ultimately most important. And then you know, if, you want to, if you want to be a head coach, it's just understand it's really, really hard. And, and, and to uh, my, my advice to people has always been uh, it's real easy, especially if you have family, to make decisions based on money. But I would make, I tried to always make decisions, and I don't come from money. Um, I, I always tried to make decisions based on winning and a, attach myself to a winner. There were opportunities, I could have had opportunities to leave Clemson uh, and Tulane to go to places that maybe even had bigger profile names, but they weren't winning. And so if, you, you're, if, you're, if you're around a winner, uh, and you're a part of that, then you're always going to be wanted at a premium. And so 
uh, if you're always chasing the next job because you're going to make another ten or fifteen thousand bucks, but you're not going to win, you might in the short term make a little bit extra money, but in five years be out of a job. And so I know that's easier said than done, uh, but uh, in college in college baseball we do a very poor job because we only have the volunteer coach position to. It's not a great entry level position for somebody. Um, but you know we're trying to change that. But you know that 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 would be my advice, uh, at least in the short term, for for young coaches. Well, coach, I appreciate you taking the time to sit down and, and share your insight and, and commitment to excellence with the Brian Kane Peak Performance Podcast. And for our listeners, uh, highly encourage you to jump on Twitter and follow at TCU Schloss. That's at TCU S C H L O S S. And coach, again, appreciate you making the time. Thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate you. Thanks for listening to the Peak Performance Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes and leave a positive review or share a link to this episode on social media using hashtag PeakPod. Mention Brian Kane and one thing you learned in this episode for your chance to win a free ticket to the next Brian Kane Experience live event. Dominate the day.